0: So uh, tonight is what uh, should be uh, the last in this uh, series on the, on the 13 principles, which is uh, an exciting uh, uh, occasion uh, that, we've, uh, that we've made it all the way uh, through. Uh, on a personal level, what's even more exciting for me is that I'm actually up to date in typing it up. So we have, uh, you know, there are uh, all, all 13 principles plus the introduction. Are uh, are now uh, in a word document. Until now, they've always been just uh, just notes and handwritten. But Baruch Hashem, we're able to uh, to get that done. So we'll have to see what uh, what, if anything, we're going to go ahead and do with that. But that is something. Uh, if anybody has any interest in uh, in seeing it, so uh, let me know. It's a, it's an unedited, uh, you know, sort of raw version. But um, but at least uh, you know it's it's something to be able to work with now that it's all uh, now now it's all in word. Baruch Hashem. Okay. But in the meantime, let's make sure that uh, we finish this uh, tonight, and then we'll have uh, a few weeks off vacation. I think we mentioned as I try and prepare for the uh, for the next series. Okay, but here we are. Thirteen principle having to do with uh, resurrection, and um, and in order to understand another angle uh, uh, from which to uh, understand and uh, think about the concept of resurrection is to be able to ask a, a simple question, and that is, why does death exist in the world? So resurrection is supposed to sort of like undo death. So what exactly is the function of death, which then necessitates resurrection? If there was no death, then there would be, by definition, there would be no such thing as, a, as resurrection. So what exactly is the purpose? Where did the death uh, death come from? Seemingly, uh, it would have been a lot easier for God, if there's such a thing as easier or harder, but it would have been a lot more straightforward, fewer steps for God to go ahead and create us without the need to die, and then have the necessity to go ahead and resurrect, then the way the world is now, that we are born, uh, we die, and then uh, only to be resurrected at some future point. So what exactly is the uh, the game plan as far as that is concerned? Seemingly, we should be able to skip that death and resurrection part and just have the living part and just that uh, continue for uh, for long term. And um, and the answer to that is that Hashem isn't really the one. Who put in the uh, who put the plan? Who set in motion? Probably better said. Who set in motion the necessity for death and resurrection? This is something which um, uh, which uh, was put in uh, which uh, was put in place was set in motion by Adam and Chava. When Adam and Chava went ahead and they ate from the Eitz das from the tree of life, so that was a, uh, a a sin. Obviously, that was a transgression which they went ahead and they committed. That's the ultimate one, as all well. of you know, that was the biggest mess that they could have possibly made. There was one thing that they were supposed to do not to make a mess of, and they went ahead and they made a mess of that one thing that they weren't supposed to touch, like going into the kitchen at shaw when it's not the kiddish time or something. So going ahead and leaving 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 a mess behind, everybody just uh, just got frightened. So so they have, uh, so by, uh, by sinning, so uh, had they, had, had they not died, had there not been a decree that they're going to die, so what that would have meant was that they would live for all of eternity with that stain of the sin on their existence. And that would be something which is bad, to be stuck for all of eternity with that uh, with that stain of, uh, of sin. And uh, the, uh, the because the life that they were supposed to live, the fact that they were going to live without dying, so at that time, the original plan of creation was not going to be something which was supernatural, and it's not something which would have, been, would have been considered miraculous in any way, shape, or form. That would have been the expectation, because death wasn't really part of God's plan. Death is only an alternative, choose-your-own-adventure type of thing. So when Adam and Chavah decided to choose their own adventure by eating from the eitz das, so then what that sent them, uh, the path that sent them down, was a, uh, a path which is going to necessitate death, and then uh, ultimately to be able to have the, uh, the resurrection. So the question is, what exactly is the connection? Why is it that by creating the mess, which Adam and Chava did, by eating from the Yitzhadas, so what is gained in a certain sense? What's the, uh, the point of having death, which is going to follow after that? So to this, we turn to, uh, as we're going to see, we're going to uh, uh, analyze this from the perspective, or think about this from the perspective of a Pasuk and a gemara. So the Pasuk is, uh, the Pasuk which says, it's in Devarim, where we say, hu that HaKadosh Baruch is our lives. HaKadosh Baruch the Torah. So he is our lives. We say in Marav, a similar type of, of phrase. But our connection to God is, is, uh, is, is the very essence of the life which, which we have. And based on this, Chazals say that one who attaches himself to God is considered to be alive, such a person is alive, and one who separates themselves from God, cuts themselves off from God, like a curry type of punishment. So a person who does that is considered to be not alive. That's what Chazal say about that Apostle. And it's more clearly expressed in the Gemara Brachos. Gemara Brachos on says that the Rishaim the wicked in this world, even when they're considered to be dead, even during their lifetime. So even while physically alive, they're considered to be dead. But the righteous, the tzaddikim, they're considered to be alive even after their physical death. So what exactly does that mean? Why do we say that Rishayim are considered to be dead regardless of whether they're physically alive or not? And the reverse, that tzaddikim are considered to be alive regardless of whether they're physically alive or not. So we say that um, the, uh, the, uh, if we uh, look, think about the Gemara from the perspective of, of that pasuk, of kihu chayecha, so the two of them actually complement one another very uh, very nicely. And that is that the wicked, the Rishayim, who have decided to distance themselves in sever their relationship with God, so if connection to God is chayecha, is life, than those who sever that relationship with God. So they are not connected to the source of life. So by virtue of the fact that they're not connected to the source of life, so it may be that they haven't, like in a certain sense, they haven't died yet, but they are in a circumstance where, which does not support life, and therefore they're essentially dead. You take a fish out of the water. So what's going to happen when the fish is out of the water? So if the fish isn't going back in the water, it may be flapping around for a little bit. It may be able to survive a small amount of time I don't know if they fish hold their breath, what they do when they're out of the water, but whatever they're going to do, they may be able to survive for a short period of time, but they're essentially dead. They're caught and they're dead, regardless of whether they're actually dead, because they're in a circumstance which no longer supports life. So Rishayim, who sever their relationship with Hashem, so that's what essentially they do to themselves, is they cut off the, uh, the, uh, the life support, the connection which allows them to have actual life, and as a result of that, they're essentially dead, regardless of whether in the moment they're physically alive or not, they're just surviving on that last gasp of breath, which they had when they were last attached to God. But once they went ahead and they, uh, they, they've severed that, so they cannot sustain life beyond whatever that last gasp is going to be. So it's for that reason that Rishayim <clears throat> are considered to be dead, even when physically alive. And the flip side of that is is that Sadiqim who do have Dveikas with Hashem, who have a strong meaningful relationship with Hashem, one of attachment with the uh, the proper attachment that they're supposed to have. So such people remain uh, attached to Hashem also regardless of whether they're physically alive or not. Because they're always in a circumstance in which they're considered to be alive by virtue of the connection in the attachment which they have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yeah, sorry.
1: Uh, the Rishayim can. What happens if they do tshuva? I mean, can they?
0: Come yeah, back? so they they, they, they can, can restore connect? that connection. Yeah, uh, tshuva is the process of restoring that uh, connection. We're now in that uh, tis the season. Once we're past tishuva, moving forward towards uh, you know Rosh Hashanah in, in Yom Kippur. So yeah, tshuva is a process where we uh, what what should be a hermetic seal of connection between us and God. So sin creates a uh, schmutz in between that point of contact. And whenever there's going to be schmutz in the point of contact we are supposed to be creating this hermetic seal, so that allows water, air, and allows uh, you know foreign things to get through, and that uh, that means that the uh, the uh, the connection isn't strong like it like it should be enough of that schmutz gets off there so then the two pipes are not connected at all they're not the, then you have a, you know a leak which is happening under the uh, under the surface and you end up with water you know on the pavement whatever whatever that's going to uh, however whatever muscle we would use for that so chuva is a process of cleaning away all that schmutz and once all the schmutz is cleaned off so then the two ends could then reattach uh, one another and yes that's uh, the, that's essentially the uh, the chuva process very good so uh, when Adam and Chava made a mess, and they went ahead and they sinned, what they did was, they were the ones who were created with a complete attachment to Hashem, by virtue of the fact that they were created by, uh, by God himself, so they had that, uh, that, uh, that full attachment to, to Hashem, when they went ahead and they sinned, they severed, at least in part, that connection. The attachment which they were supposed to have is no longer whole, incomplete. There's no longer that uh, that airtight or watertight seal, and therefore, as a result of the fact that they separated from the source of life, from the uh, from their their life support, so that means that in some way they're already going to be dead. That's why that that, that curious thing Hashem said, "If you eat from that tree, you're going to die." They didn't die for another 930 years. That's a long time between the time that they committed the Aveira and, uh, and when they actually did die. But the physical, the final physical expression of that didn't happen for another 930 years. But the fact that they were already detached in part from God meant that they experienced a, 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 part, a, a form of death already at that moment. So they actually did experience something at, the, at, at that, uh, that moment. Now in the world to come, so all sin is going to be rectified, is going to be, is going to be uh, atoned for. And once we get to that, uh, that stage of the world to come, where all of the sins which we had committed are going to be atoned, are going to be forgiven, and all that schmutz is clear, cleared away. So then the attachment, which we're supposed to have, the dveikas, which we're supposed to have with Hashem, is then restored to its ideal uh, uh, connection. And once it's restored to that ideal connection, so then that's what's going to allow uh, us to be able to to emerge and that's going to be this uh, this time of resurrection which we're going to experience because all of the uh, the remnant as we're going to talk about a little bit more but all the remnant of that uh, that sin is going to be is going to be cleared away and you can go ahead and you can make that strong connection once again that is point number one now point number two is um, um That uh, it 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 begins with a similar idea that in order that once Adam and Chava sinned, so what they did was they stained their we're going to say for now they stained their neshamas they stained their uh, their soul, and in the absence of death had Adam and Chava not died as we said, so they would have lived on eternally without uh, with that stain on their uh, on their soul, and therefore the process of death. Uh, which uh, a person is going to experience, which is reminiscent of the gemaras in the, in uh, in Yuma we had not too long ago in in Dath Yomi, so that the process of death is a cleansing process for the neshama. So the person who committed a sin, as a result of the sin, so they're carrying some sort of stained neshama, uh, and the process of death, and actually what happens after death, is going to be the process of cleansing that uh, that uh, that. Uh, that sin, in order to make things uh, usable again, and the analogy which uh, which we use, which uh, which uh, the neviim use already, as far as sin is concerned, when they talk about it as a stain on a garment, so what they mean to say is, is that like we said, is that a stain on a garment? You could always go ahead and throw it in the washing machine, and you could clean off that stain. So now, if the process of death is intended to cleanse the person of the avera, which which they did. So just like in the washing machine, there's no point in washing a garment clean and then just leave the garment in the washing machine. Nothing's going to be gained by that. The whole point of washing the garment of that stain is so that you'll be able to take it out of the washing machine and eventually be able to wear it again. So the process of death, which is going to be cleansing for the neshama, so there's not going to be much of a value or or cleansing for the body. It's not going to be much of a value in the event that the body is cleansed from those sins, and then the body just remains in the ground forever and ever. There'd be no point in going ahead and cleansing the body if it's just going to remain in the ground forever and ever. The whole point is to take it out and to be able to wear it. So the body, which is going to be cleansed from the sin through the process of death, so this is the intent, is that the body is going to be usable once again, and that's going to be usable at the time of resurrection. So that's why we said that when the, uh, the at least according to some opinions that when resurrection occurs, so that the uh, the body is going to be healed of all of its uh, all of its uh, uh, illnesses and all of its handicaps and whatnot. So that the body will be able to use in its uh, its ideal uh, manner. Now, what's interesting is that. Uh, if what, what we're discussing is true, so the body, which, which was the physical thing using the muscle from, uh, from last week of the lame man and the blind man, that they have to work in conjunction with one another in order to be able to commit the sin. And in the same way, body and soul also come together for the purpose of sinning. So it seems like the body goes ahead and has the cleansing process because it's the physical body which dies. And it's the physical bodies we're going to see is what uh, decomposes in the ground, which is also part of the, uh, the cleansing process, and the soul doesn't go through any cleansing process. We don't really know of a cleansing process which occurs for the soul, certainly nothing in a similar manner or in as dramatic a matter, manner as the way the body is going to go ahead and be cleansed. So how do we go ahead, and what, why is there a benefit to go ahead and cleanse the body and not do anything to go ahead and cleanse the, uh, cleanse the neshama? So the truth is, is that in the Hasidim tells this, uh, you know, emphasizes this very strongly that the truth is, is that the neshama isn't actually damaged by sin. It's not possible to damage the neshama as a spiritual entity as something which has taken mitachas kisei covered from beneath Hashem's. Uh, 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 Throne, so it's not possible to go ahead and to do anything which is actually going to harm the sin. The most that you can have is you can have layers of dirt which can which uh, accumulate on top of the nishama but nothing actually penetrates to uh, to harm the nishama itself. So the neshama actually does not need to go through a cleansing process because the neshama never actually got the, got the dirty. All that happens is is you have this schmutz which accumulates on the surface. But if you have the right to cleanser, so it just sort of you get that magic eraser, uh, which is going to go ahead and clean off stains on the walls and whatnot. And that is going to be able to go ahead and, and take care of things. Yeah. Okay. That's all. Uh,
1: so in our class on Saturday afternoon, when we talked about the neshama, sh- we yeah. talked about the cycling to clean it. Yeah. So if what you're saying is that it's all surface dirt, person dies. It's done. I don't understand the cycling then.
0: The the cycling you said, recycling. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, that if if there's a problem that's not solved yet for the neshama comes back to another another body to try and and fix the problem.
0: Uh-huh. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, Gilgal? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Gilgal. Sorry.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: So, I'm 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 having a little trouble uh,
0: just. Justifying those two, so so um, the the soul is supposed to the 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 various parts of the neshama are supposed to uh, accomplish certain things. They're supposed to uh, reach a certain state of perfection. So, not reaching a state of perfection is not the same thing as becoming damaged. Not sin, which causes uh, which causes the necessity for. Um, uh, for a Gilgo, for a uh, reincarnation—that's the word. It's not—it's not sin which causes that per se. But sorry, I shouldn't say that. It's not that sin damages the nishama which then ne- necessitates reincarnation. Uh, but sin means that the soul has not yet reached its its perfected state, and therefore it needs to come back. It needs to—it uh, it still has some work to do. So it's not—it's not a result of a flaw. It's a result of the fact that it hasn't done all of its It hasn't done its. Uh, it's to, it hasn't finished its to do list. So being that it hasn't finished the to do list, so therefore you got to come back and you got to make sure that uh, that uh, that you that you do so. It's one thing to wash the dishes, but then you got to go ahead and you got to put the dishes away. So if you didn't if you wash the dishes but you didn't put them away, so inevitably mom's going to call you back into the kitchen and say. Hopefully she says, I appreciate that you washed the dishes. They look great, but they'd look even better if they were put away where they're supposed to go. So you still have, so it's not as if there was damage, which was done. It just, you didn't finish all of the, uh, the, uh, the complete, uh, all of your responsibilities. Um, so now, as we said, so what happens is, is that the sin is going to be that schmutz. That's the shmutz, which creates that barrier between the person and, the, and Hashem. It's very similar to going in the mikvah. That's like we say, So that in a mikvah, the only way that immersion in the mikvah is effective is if there's nothing which interposes between the body and the water. Anything whatsoever is a potential interposition, a chatzitza, which renders the whole immersion uh, could render the immersion invalid altogether because you have to be entirely in the water without anything uh, without anything separating. So the soul and the connection between a soul and God is supposed to be the same thing. And sin is going to create a schmutzig barrier which doesn't allow the connection to remain as as tight as it should and therefore uh the uh that's why uh the, that that's where it, it it appears as if the the soul may have been damaged or flawed or dirtied or any of those things but that perspective is just something which is superficial because beneath the surface it's something which is a hundred percent uh I- I- intact and all of it is still uh, all of it is still good and um in the ideal state the way who wanted uh, the world to, uh, to exist they wanted mankind to exist is that the, uh, the body should be completely subservient to the soul the soul, the neshama, the part which animates a person, that should be directing the body where to go and hopefully going to, uh, to good places to study Torah, to do mitzvahs, to David and all of those things and when a person sins, what he essentially does is assigns greater importance to the body over the soul so it's a, disrupt, it's a disruption of, of priorities. So rather than prioritizing soul and spiritual things, one ends up prioritizing physical things at the expense of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the spiritual. And therefore, all of those pursuits of physical pleasures and whatnot, so they are the barrier between oneself and God. So it's the body which really ends up serving as that uh, that barrier, and therefore the cleansing. The so the more sins that a person uh, uh, commits, so the more parts of the body are going to need cleansing or going to need this process, which is to clear all of the uh, to clear the uh, uh, to uh, to rectify and repair all of the uh, all of that uh, um, false importance which was given to the body ahead of the uh, of the soul, and therefore, so that's why. Uh, it's uh, that we, we only find that the body is going to go through this cleansing process of decomposition, and the soul doesn't really have to go through any of that, because once the body is now uh, cleansed, so then the body and the soul can then reunite in its perfected state, where the soul is going to be directing the body, and the the, the soul is then going to be able to, uh, to uh, move into the driver's seat and to direct what's going to happen Rather than the soul being thrown, you know, perhaps in the trunk somewhere, you know, just, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and just sort of being schlepped along for the, for the ride, but not directing at all as far as the direction of the, uh, of the person. Now, um, now, this also, uh, this idea, which we are, uh, which we're developing, which we're uh, elaborating on here, so it clarifies for us another point. And as we've explained, the body is really going to be the barrier which is going to separate ourselves from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And that has to be uh, a uh, cleanse of all of the sins which we committed in order to eventually be able to be deserving of the reward which is in store for us for the uh, the mitzvahs which we did. So where exactly does this cleansing take place? So the cleansing takes place in the grave. That's the idea of the decomposition which you mentioned earlier. That the decomposition of the body, that if sin at its core is placing greater stress on the body rather than the soul, and if the body becomes that barrier which, which prevents a person from connecting and attaching to God, so it's going to be the decomposition of that body, that's, how you, that's where the schmutz uh, goes, goes away. And once that, that schmutz goes away, which is the body, then the soul is in a position to reconnect directly with, the, with, with Hashem. And that the decomposition process, so the body is cleansed, and and now, um, uh, right, so then what what follows uh, uh, an interesting application of that, of this idea, is that it would emerge from there that people who are tzaddikim, people who are incredibly righteous uh, 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 people, so they would not have a necessity for decomposition in the grave. Because decomposition is just a necessity for those people who sin, because they, uh, by as we've said, by placing greater priority on the body rather than the soul, what happens is, is the body becomes a barrier to Hashem. That's why the more humble a person is, the less self they see, the less anochius is the, the Hebrew word which they use, the less the ego or the less self which they, uh, which they possess. So they, there's less of a process of decomposition which they would have to go through. And, and therefore there are reports, and I don't have any actual data or anything other than just uh, reports which are set over, but they say over that there have been times where it was nece- necessary to go ahead and exhume the body of a tzaddik, or they ended up uh, uh, digging up the body of a tzaddik. And many years after the person had been buried, so the, uh, the, uh, they discovered that the body was more or less intact. It didn't follow the regular, uh, you know, the, 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 the amount of decomposition that one would expect to occur, uh, occur when somebody is buried in the ground for many, many decades. And this is seen as, uh, as indicative of this idea that uh, somebody who's a, a tzaddik and uh, primarily have the neshama directing them uh, their, uh, their, their being during their lifetime rather than their body. So they don't need to go through the same degree of cleansing process. And therefore for them, so they, uh, they, uh, they, it's, it's not something which is going to be important for them. It's not something which is necessary for, uh, for them. But this also uh, tells us why halakha halacha has such a strong opposition to a metal coffin or something of, uh, of that sort. And the reason is, is because it's considered, it's actually considered to be a chesed, it's considered to be a kindness to the deceased to go ahead and facilitate, to arrange that the nifter should be able to go through the cleansing process as quickly as possible. So whatever process they're going to go through, they have to go through, but you don't want, we don't want to put anything which is going to slow down that process. So that's why those who are familiar uh, in Eretz Yisrael, for example, Although they may transport the body in a coffin, when it comes time for actual burial, so the body goes straight into the ground without a coffin. Because even the coffin itself, even though it's made of materials which will decompose, such as wood, nonetheless, it's just more, it, it takes longer for the decomposition of the body to take place, it's assumed that the more of the body is in touch with the ground, so the faster the decomposition is going to occur. And that's actually a chesed, which, which we do. If you've ever uh, looked, sometimes what they do, even though, even in the States, they, they will put a cement vault around the body just because they don't want body shifting. But very often what they do, it depends on the, the cemetery, but what, the, what many people will do in order to accommodate um, both the legal requirements, as well as the halakhic advantage, is there won't be a bottom to that vault. So the body is going to be placed on dirt and surrounding it on the sides and on top, there may be a cement uh, vault uh, which, which is placed around it. But if the body could be in touch with it, the ground, so that's something which is advantageous because that's going to allow for a faster and uh, it's uh, understood to be a more efficient uh, manner of, of decomposition, which is a great chesed for the, uh, for the deceased. It's also one of the reasons why we're very quick to uh, to do burial. We want that to happen as quickly as possible because once the body and the soul are separated, so now everything is just sort of stuck in limbo, because the body can't decompose while it's still uh, while before it's yet uh, been buried. So it's experiencing this pain of having the, uh, the the sins and whatnot, and no means of being able to uh, to rectify it or to be able to uh, to be able to cleanse it of those uh, those alveiras. So therefore, we try and uh, do what we can in order to facilitate that the, uh, whatever um, cleansing the body is going to have to go through should be able to happen as quickly as, uh, as possible. Now, there's one last point which, uh, which requires a, a little bit of, of clarification. And that is that when we think about it, so let's just use it as examples, you have um, from thousands of years ago, you have Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, you have Sarivka Rachel Leah. So you have our Avos and our Imams. Now, during their lifetimes, they were certainly Tzadikim and Sidkanios. They were certainly righteous people. And whatever minor infractions they may have uh, committed, so one would imagine that that's already been long repaired, it's already been long cleansed. And they've been spending the past 3,000 years plus or whatever uh, in, uh, in a spiritual existence in close proximity to God. Yes, are we, uh, we're, we're good at making that, making that assumption. So now what's gonna happen is, is that at some point, and it should happen soon, so uh, after, uh, after uh, enjoying spiritual bliss for 3000 years plus, so the alarm is gonna go off and it's gonna say, ding, 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 time for resurrection. And they're gonna say, resurrection? Why would I wanna go back to my body? I've been doing pretty well here for the past 3000 years in pure spiritual bliss without being burdened with a body which uh, you know, carries with it temptation and carries with it physical needs and all sorts of things. I think we're pretty content in this spiritual state and there's no need, you know, I'll take a pass. Let somebody else go ahead and take my place in mind with this. And I'm, I'm good exactly where I am. So how, what are we to make out of this idea that people as great as Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Sarifka, Rachel, and Leah, that they are going to also have to go through this resurrection process to be restored to their bodies. But uh, what, 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 what's the point? So what this tells us is, is that it must be that in some ways, and I, I, it, 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 it may be entirely true, but I'm just going to, uh, to, uh, to dull it a little bit, But in some ways, our physical existence is more important than our spiritual existence. Now, I don't mean physical versus spiritual by themselves. I mean, physical existence with our spiritual soul inside of us is more important than a purely spiritual existence. that's why everybody has to be resurrected. Everybody's going to come back. Even people as great as Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov, Sarov, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, they're also going to be resurrected back into their physical uh, body. Because if you remember... The whole purpose of creation was in order to have mankind, meaning physical creatures, a physical creation, to be able to enjoy the greatest good possible, which is attachment to connection with Hashem. It's dveikas v'Hashem. So if Hashem wanted us to be spiritual beings who would be attached to Him, first of all, we'd be malachim rather than humans. And secondly, there'd be no reason to go ahead and create any physical body whatsoever. He could have, what we talked about at the beginning today, he could have just skipped that step of having a physical body and just create spiritual creatures who will attach themselves, be naturally drawn towards the spiritual existence of God, and all will be good. Everything will be good, hunky-dory, without any problems whatsoever. But he didn't create us that way because he wanted specifically that mankind with a physical body should also be able to connect to HaKadosh uh, to Baruch Hu. And that's why man was created at the end of creation, day six of creation, rather than day one. And this, the Gemara also talks about that. On the one hand, one could say, listen, if man was the last thing created in all of creation, in the six days of creation, so that's an indicator that man is almost like an afterthought. You know, the, the, those last minute things that you do at the end of, uh, you know, whatever you're preparing for. So those are usually minor things. You don't say the biggest thing for last. You wanna take care of that first. You make sure the major stuff is you're decorating your house or whatever. So you're gonna take care of walls and, and pipes and electricity and structure before you go ahead and you decide, you know, what color the uh, the tr- the floorboard trim is necessarily going to be. Cause that's a minor thing. You don't really need that anyways. So mankind, you could see mankind being created last as perhaps something which is an afterthought. But the truth is is that the opposite is true. that Kozbroku created mankind last so that everything would be in place, everything would be in ready for man would be ready for mankind as soon as he comes on the scene. right It's like uh, you're going to stay a guest at somebody else's house. So you show up at their house and you open up the refrigerator and there's nothing there. Well, that's certainly not satisfying. I just, uh, you know, this long driving trip to be able to get to this vacation home. And I get there and there's nothing in the cupboard. There's nothing in the pantry. There's nothing in the refrigerator. And I got to go out and go shopping. So that's a major pain. So it's much nicer when as a guest, you show up there. And it's a fully stocked refrigerator. It's a fully stocked pantry. And there's snacks everywhere for uh, for people to uh, to enjoy. So that's m- much more of a, a pleasant experience. So that is what... HaKash Baruch Hu wanted from us. It created last, but it created us last so that everything would be ready to, uh, to go. And as we said, all Adam and Chave had to do was just don't make a mess. All they had to do was just pass that one test of not making the mess when the opportunity presented itself. and all would have been good. They would have spent that first Shabbos in Ganeiden and they would have remained there for, uh, for, all of, uh, for all of eternity. But that was the nature of the free will. That was the nature of the Bechir HaFshis, which Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave Adam and Chavit to make that uh, to make that choice, and that's the way <coughs> <coughs> that's the way we continue to exist with our physical being. Our physical being is also ultimately what's supposed to be able to connect with uh, with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. and the physical act of performing a mitzvah, whatever that mitzvah is, but the very physical act of performing that mitzvah that brings the purpose of creation to its intended goal. Because as we said, the intended goal is not to exist as a spiritual being, it's to exist as a physical being, and for that physical being to choose mitzvahs, rather than choosing to go ahead and pursue its own physical uh, physical pleasure. So therefore, every time we go ahead and we do a mitzvah with our body, So that fulfills the whole purpose of uh, of creation. That's the destiny of the the creation of the world is for physical beings to be able to make smart choices in terms of doing mitzvahs. And with that in mind, with that uh, perspective, we can now understand why why details of mitzvahs, of the fulfillment of mitzvahs, are considered to be so essential. Many people uh, get annoyed at what they refer to as the minutia of halacha this detail and that detail, I have to make sure they have to cross this T and dot that I and all the different things which we need to do in order to make sure that our mitzvah fulfillment is done properly. And uh, I think any thinking person will ask themselves the question, why do all those details need to be there? Let's take uh, the uh, um, example I have in my notes about eating matzah. So we know that in order to fulfill the mitzvah of matzah, so you have to eat a kazayas. So there's a certain amount that you have to eat and when you eat, it, it has to be within a certain time frame. And if you eat less than the uh, minimum amount, or if you eat the minimum amount, but you eat it o- over a long span of time, so even though you ended up eating the matzah, you don't get the mitzvah. And even something, somebody says, you know what? I'm going to eat the matzah while I'm in the middle of a meditative trance, thinking about Yitzchak Mitzrayim. And I'll use the matzah to go ahead and deepen my trance, but all I need is just a little taste of matzah, and that already is going to be enough for me to be able to spend the next six hours of the, of the evening in this meditative trance thinking about Yitzhiya Smitarayim, which seemingly is the whole goal. The goal is to be able to think about Yitzhiya and appreciate that. That's why we go through the Seder. That's how we re-experience Yitzhiya Smitarayim is what, is what the goal is. So why do I have to eat a minimum amount of matzah? Why do I have to eat it so quickly? Let me just go ahead and meditate on it. But the answer is, is that meditation doesn't involve anything which is going to be physical. The mitzvah is to do the physical acts, to bring godliness into our physical existence. And if all you do is have one, if all one does is just have a small taste of matzah, and then plans on meditating on it, see us trying for the rest of the, uh, of the evening. So you haven't, uh, that such a person has not done, what the Torah wants a person to do, what a Baruch wants a person to do in terms of bringing spirituality into your physical existence. And it's just, it's lacking that. And that's why the details of mitzvahs, the halachas of mitzvahs, are something which is, which are so essential, because as we said, it's physical beings doing physical acts of mitzvahs, which fulfills God's intention of creation. And that's why we have to make sure that we're going to do it properly. And for that reason, that's why there's such a, a thing as being able to fulfill a mitzvah in some way without kavanah, because kavanah intent is something which is happening in the brain, but it's not something which is the expression, the physical expression of the body. So, if the physical expression of the body, if you could go ahead and you could do the action of the thing, not if you're, you know, uh, uh, if you have, a, not if you're uh, behaving like a marionette somebody else is moving around your limbs and whatnot, that's not a mitzvah. But if the person does a physical act of the mitzvah, even without holy and spiritual intent, they still have fulfilled the mitzvah 100%. The mitzvah is fulfilled 100% through the physical act because that has brought godliness into the physical existence. And it's for that reason that even figures, even people as great as Avrahamitzvah, Yaakov, Sar Rivka, Rachel Galea, as much as they have been enjoying their spiritual bliss for the past 3,000 years plus, nonetheless, they also are going to, (coughs) it's going to be advantageous for them. And it will be a fulfillment of the purpose of creation for them to be brought back into the world as physical beings, to also experience resurrection, so that there will be that final stage where spiritual and physical body are once again reunited, And when the physical and spiritual body are reunited with everything perfectly cleansed and everything in its idyllic state, at that point, then you could have that physical connection, that full. Uh, attachment and dveikas with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is the ultimate goal of all of creation, to have that full uh, dveikas with, with Hashem. And that will happen specifically with the, with the uh, possession of the body, with an activated body, a resurrected body. It doesn't happen in the event that we remain just a spiritual soul. So that's why uh, resurrection is something which is essential, not only for uh, uh, Rishayim or, or whatnot, but it's something which everybody who's been alive is going to uh, is going to have that experience of resurrection because that is the ultimate uh, destiny and the ultimate fulfillment of God's intent of all of creation. So that is uh, what I have as far as the end of the uh, thirteenth. There's a phrase which uh, which is you finally uh, commonly find at the end of Sfarim uh, that's a Rashi Tevas tough Vav Shin Lamet Base Ayin, but it means Tam uh, Vinishlam Shavach Lekel Boreolam. So tam v'nisham means that the work is complete. Shavach, it's going to be a praise. laboriolam to the creator of the world for allowing us to be able to, uh, to get through the, uh, the, uh, the material. So as I said, uh, we'll be off at least for Tuesday night for the next uh, couple of weeks. Perhaps we'll, uh, we'll restart the, in, in Elul after Oshodesh. After and anybody is interested in seeing a draft copy of, uh, of the series, so definitely uh, send me an email or whatnot that I'll be more than happy to, uh, to share it with you. Thank you very All much. That. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, thank you. Take care. I will talk to you. See you Thursday, Marit Sasha.